everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. Hi, Jess. How are you today? I am good. I am good. How are you doing? I apparently cracked up my therapist today. Um, actually, there is no apparently. She started busting out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> she shared that she had just gotten her septum piercing redone. And with her allergies, she was like, she was going to be sniffing a lot during the session because blowing her nose with the fresh piercing would hurt a lot. Ooh. And I mean, yeah, obviously like, ow. But yeah. her big thing was like, I didn't just mainline like a, a rail of Coke um, before we got started. <sighs> and I responded with, no, no, this is Texas. We mainline a, lot, a rail of pollen and we hope <laughs> not to die. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so true it, it's absolutely true it made me feel a little bit better for i don't know if this counts as a superpower for villainy or heroes but i managed to give my therapist anxiety wait what <laughs> <laughs> what okay explain please so um in our last session a couple weeks ago i shared that one of the many reasons i wanted to leave texas mostly the heat which i'm sure y'all have gathered by now because i complain <laughs> about that a lot but I shared because I'm in Hill Country and mm -hmm. Tesla is going in outside of Austin. Right. Now, obviously, we have the normal concerns about the infrastructure and the roads and the just mm -hmm. increase of people. Housing is going to go even crazier. Right. But Tesla's an electric car company. Uh-huh. And our electric power grid is not known for its stability. Oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and apparently that had enough reality to it that it was still bothering her today. No. So is your therapist now going to have to go to another therapist? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, so I, I I reversed it, and I'm not sure how or why, but I felt much better making her laugh today. Well, good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Caitlin. Oh, my goodness. I bet valid. Valid point. And I hadn't even thought about that either, which also makes me concerned. Oh, good. I just gave you more anxiety, uh, too. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. With everything going on, I'm just going to deal with how I'm dealing right now. It's like, you know what? When we get there, we'll deal with it. I'm going to put it aside for the moment, which I know if people are listening, that's not a good plan. But since I literally can't control what Tesla does, it's like, we'll deal with it when we have to deal with it. I mean, that's what the serenity prayer with AA is for is like, you know, Give me the power to change the things I can and the serenity to deal with the things I can't. Y you can't do anything about this one. No. They've already established it. He's already getting the tax breaks. We're already going to be footing the bill. It's yeah. already a done deal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's nothing we can do about it. Freaking out is not going to help. No, no. I'll just freak out over other things for the moment. <laughs> Maybe invest in a backup battery and some solar panels. I know. I know it. Oh my goodness, Caitlin, if somebody like just tuned in the first five minutes to be like, is this like a weather podcast? <laughs> or, like <laughs> how to prepare for like natural disasters? Because I was about to go off on generators and be like, yeah, generator. I'm like, Jessica, stop. This is not, not with gas prices. You don't want to do a generator. Oh, you want to get a backup battery and solar panels. I know. I know. So yeah, so those tuning in for the first time, this is about spiritualism and ghosts, but we talk, I mean, we talk a lot about, we talk what's happening in our lives and this is what's happening in our we lives. We eventually get on topic. We do. We, we, we do get there. We always, we always manage to get there. Well, well, speaking of heat <laughs> and the height of summer, we have a holiday coming up. Yes. 
And this episode's going to drop a couple days before it. And I'm thinking that our topic is going to be a little bit topical to do with the holiday, which is the probably most awkward way I could have put that. <laughs> no, it is. And and we want to make this like a tradition every year. But with, for those in America, the 4th of July coming up, we thought, okay, we have to do a patriotic episode, but it still has to deal with ghosts and spirits. So... That's what we're doing for you today. And we have, to me, it's like, who do you start with when you're looking at politics and ghosts, but the Lincolns? I mean. It's a pretty easy grab. It's like the Fox (laughs) sisters. Like, they may not have been the first, but man, were they the headliners. They were. They were. And and they weren't the only ones, by the way. But I I feel like you, you have to start with the Lincolns and Miss Mary. And so I'm actually super excited about this. And maybe you can listen to it while you're celebrating the 4th. And Nah, listen to it while you're at the grocery store shopping for the 4th to <laughs> tune out all of the crazy people around you. Yes, there you go. But I'm excited to dive in. So we're going to be talking about the history, but then the second part is all the ghost stories. Because not only were they interested in spirits, now they're pretty much haunting the place. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you ready? I am so ready. Let's get into it. Yay. Okay. So I know we're going to talk about the Lincolns, but, and that's going to be our focus, but we would be remiss if we didn't start with the Pierces because the President Pierce was, and his wife were actually the first ones to bring spiritualism to the White House, which I feel like really gets overlooked. Like nobody really even talks about this. So we're going to start with them. To give credit where credit is due. So Franklin Pierce was elected as the 14th president of the United States in 1853. Now, while Franklin Pierce had found military success and political success, so his career was doing really well, but his personal life was just fraught with grief. And before even taking office, Franklin and his wife Jane had already lost two children And sadly, that was not where tragedy would end for them. So when the Democratic Party made Pierce their candidate for president, his wife Jane actually fainted at the news. So she was not on board with this, not in support of it. Their son, Benny, actually wrote to his mother and said, I hope he won't be elected for I should not like to be at Washington. And I know you would not either. So clearly his family is not supporting him in his bid for president. (laughs) His wife wants nothing to do with it. So you have to start off with that mindset. Like she's not happy about this. Well, he gets elected president. But before the inauguration on January 6, 1853, the Pierce family was traveling by train when their rail car overturned into an embankment and all the passengers were thrown from their seats. And it's so sad. The Pierce's son, Benny, was killed. He His skull was crushed. I mean, he was killed instantly. And even though they tried to keep her away, Miss Pierce caught a glimpse of him laying there. And it just said it haunted her for the rest of her life. So, so tragic. So they're, they're getting ready to go to Washington. She doesn't even want to go. And now her only child has been killed. And it's, it's so, it's so sad. So, as you can imagine, in a state of overwhelming heartache and sorrow, the First Lady, she just locks herself away in her room. Like, she won't come out. She won't speak to anybody. He's 
being president of the country, running the country, and she is just staying in her room. Like, she's not attending any functions. And they said all she did was write these letters to her son, Benny, just over and over again, pleading for him to come to her so she could further convey the depth of her love, apologize for her failings as a mother, and just beg his forgiveness. So... Which is just so sad to think. That's awful. It is. I mean, in just blaming herself. Um, So just in a desperate attempt to speak to her son once more, Jane invites the famous young spiritualist, the Fox sisters, to hold a seance at the White House. This was the one where, yeah, Maggie's lovely male friend was like, no, don't go help the president of the United States. You need to do what I say. Right, exactly. And so I know he didn't allow her. And and there's a lot of secrecy involved. We know they invited the Fox sisters. We don't have any record of like what took place during the seance. We don't have any details. All we know is after this event, Miss Pierce did find relief and she would actually told her sister that her dead son was then coming to her in her dreams, which made her happy. So with that, spiritualism arrived at the White House. So now we're going to get into the Lincolns. <laughs> so the Lincolns, uh, so there's a president in between. And then President Abraham Lincoln became the 16th president of the United States in 1861. And it's the it's really like how similar the situations are. Because like their predecessors, the Lincolns had also suffered the loss of a child before taking office. Their son, Eddie, passed away in 1850. And again, it was only the beginning of these heartbreaking similarities between the two. Now, also, while this is going on, we know the Civil War is raging on in a fiercely divided America. Of course, we know we've talked about in previous episodes, it was the uh, one of the bloodiest conflicts, well, really the bloodiest conflict in our nation's history. And it led to just hundreds of thousands of deaths and fatalities And never before had the nation experienced loss like this. So, of course, during this time, spiritualism is just expanding rapidly because it offered grieving family members closure that the war denied them. Because the Civil War, it almost made mourning difficult because you're losing families, family members on a battlefield and you may not actually be able to bury them you may like it's just they're gone and so you're never going to see them again you never get to bury them you never get to have that closure and to kind of move through those stages of grief but spiritualism really helped you with that yeah having that many people die that in those numbers that far from home it it ruined or it uh, messed up the ritual of mourning like it it interrupted the normal flow of things right so even with embalming on the rise very few people came home right oh gosh and i can't even think of like trying to keep up with all that you know like when you have thousands it's just unbelievable it's it's overwhelming so during this time in february of 1862 the lincoln's sat beside the bed of their 11 year old son willie and they watched helplessly as he died from typhoid fever. So a newspaper article that came out at that time described it as described Willie's sickness as an intermittent fever, assuming a typhoid character, has caused anxiety and alarm to his family and friends for a past week. The president has been by his side much of the time, scarcely taking a rest for 10 days past. 
And Mary's own seamstress who was there described her as he was his mother's favorite child. And Miss Lincoln's grief was inconsolable. So we're starting to see similarities between her and Jane. And even, of course, understandably, President Lincoln was deeply affected. And the same seamstress remarked that he was awestricken. His grief unnerved him and made him a weak, passive child. And she says, I did not dream that this rugged nature could be so moved. So, I mean, it's just, it's just so tragic. And what's, and it's said that even after, after Willie's death, Lincoln would visit his son's body in the temporary vault in Oak Hill Cemetery, where he'd just sit for hours and then sometimes also direct that the coffin be opened, which, huh. yeah, I feel like that'd be a little rough. And so he, and they said he would talk to his son. And there, it's even, there's a story of Lincoln once asked a union officer during this time, do you ever find yourself talking to the dead? Since Willie's death, I catch myself every day involuntarily talking with him as if he were with me. Mm. So they're going through these stages of grief. And what makes it, it's like, what makes it even sadder to me, though I understand what people in America are going through, but sad, with so many families around the country suffering, there was really little public sympathy for the first family because many felt, well, at least you got to be with your son when he passed. I didn't get to be with my son when he passed. Hey. Or my husband or my brother. At least you got to be there. And so, yeah, which it's, I'm not saying it's right, but I can also understand both sides of it. Like, it's just a bad time. There's, it's just a really sad, sad time. Um, But like Jane Pierce, Mary locked herself away for weeks. And when she finally emerged, like so many of the time, including Mrs. Pierce, Mary Todd Lincoln sought solace with the spirits and the spirit world. This is where things are going to get a little interesting. I know that was a really, really sad buildup. But now we're going to start talking about the spiritualist that come around. So Mary began consulting a series of Washington mediums, including Cranston Laurie, Nettie Colburn Maynard, William Shockle, and one that was just known as Colchester of Georgetown. <laughs> so <laughs> I just love that. Now we're really going to focus on the Lorries. And Cranston Lorry was the, actually he was the son of a reverend who founded the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. And during President Jackson's term, Cranston actually served in the post office department as a chief statistician. So he had a government job and he kept that for years. So this wasn't some just like, who's this oddball guy in Washington? Like he had a legit family and job and cool, which is really cool. But like so many in the 1850s, the Lori family became devoted spiritualists. And all members of the family were demonstrating mediumistic abilities. Um, they were especially known for their skills in automatic writing and spirit art, which is kind of unique. I feel like we haven't even heard heard a lot about spirit art, but they were known for their spirit art. And even Miss Emma Harding Britton wrote about their talents. So she commented ah. on the Lori family, which is super cool. And their home became a center of spiritualist activity in Washington. So lots of people were gathering there, including high-ranking government officials. And we know it's going to be the president, too. So very cool. I feel like, Caitlin, we need to check this. We need to do a deep dive on the lorries, I feel like. I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) I feel like this whole podcast could have talked. We could have 
done a deep dive in them, but we're going to keep going. Now, also, um, there was a young medium named Nettie Colburn Maynard, who was also living with them at the time in their townhouse, and she would accompany them on seances at their home, but also eventually to the White House. And then, of course, Colchester of Georgetown, which we're going to we're going to put a little pin in him for just a moment. He's going <laughs> to come up in just a little bit later. He's got a little interesting story that that takes shape. So are you ready to get to the seances? Uh, yeah. OK, so we're going to start actually at their townhouse in Georgetown. So that Lori's townhouse. So what's really cool, we actually have an, a, a written account of one of these seances. Um, Nettie, who is living with the Lori, she wrote down what happened at one of them. So I'm going to, and I'm paraphrasing this for those that are listening, but here we go. So when the title, it was in a piece she wrote that was called, Was Lincoln a Spiritualist? <laughs> That's, it was straight to the point, not the very long, <laughs> awful, awful titles of the books. It's a 14-word paragraph title. <laughs> Thank you, Nettie, for just getting straight to the point. Absolutely. That's awesome. (laughs) So here's what she describes. So one morning in early February, the Lori family received a note that Mrs. Lincoln desired to bring some friends to Georgetown for a seance that evening. And they wanted Nettie to be present. So the Lori's and Nettie to be there. Now, before they were to arrive, Nettie received a message from her spirit guide that the president would also be in attendance. Now, Miss Lincoln didn't mention this, but Nettie's like, nope, he's going to be here. And I think it's funny that even Mr. Lori was like surprised and was like, no, president's not coming to this. Like, (laughs) he's not showing up. Like, Like, dream big, but no. I know. And for someone that like, obviously, like is a believer and stuff, when Nettie says that, he's like, no, no. (laughs) Mr. Lori was astonished to find Mr. Lincoln was at his door with his wife. Now, this is kind of funny because Lori, Mr. Lori was like, yeah, that's not happening. But this is how he greets him. He goes, good evening. Welcome, Mr. Lincoln, to my humble roof. You are expected. Really, Lori? Really? So he's going to pull credit for it. Yes! (laughs) That's what I thought. It's like. Okay, rude. I thought the same thing. If I was Nettie, I'd be like, you son of a. I'd be like in the corner being like, yeah, you want to know why you were expected? Let me explain to you. Why you were expected, Mr. President. I saw it. I knew it. And he said I was wrong. Exactly. Just so you know I'm the glad sco- you took that. Just so like, you know the score while we're going in. I'm glad you took that how I did. I was like, <laughs> oh, they were expected. Okay. Okay. We'll just let it go. So now the president was shocked that he was expected because apparently he only decided to come at the last minute. Like they were literally getting into the carriages and he was like, you know what? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go to the seance. And it even apparently shocked Miss Lincoln that he wanted to come. She was like, wait, what? Like, you're going to actually come to this? But he did. So now they began the evening by singing several old songs, including Bonnie Doon, of which the president said was a favorite of his. And Mrs. Miller, who was one of the Lori's daughters, played a three-corner grand piano, and as she played, it began to rise and fall, keeping time with the music. Wait, she was rising and falling, or? The piano. Oh. Which I assume, unless it was just the piano part, because I'm trying to picture, like, was her little stool going up and down with it? But the piano was moving. We'll say that at least the piano itself was lifting up and down and up and down. And so Nettie says that the president was fascinated and skeptical 
and went over to examine the piano itself. So he's looking at the legs. He's putting the hands underneath, which actually kind of terrified me when I'm reading that, like this grand piano. He's like, here, let me put my hands mm, under the no legs. bad idea. I, I know. I thought the same thing. But he's like looking it all over. And then this is my favorite. So she says that when he couldn't figure out how it was working, he said, basically, well, I can sit on it and then it can't move. So I'm picturing our president, like, hopping up on this piano. <laughs> and she even described his legs dangling. Which is impressive, given oh, how tall he was. Yes, thank you. And it was still moving, so he had two more grown men get up on the piano. And apparently, it never stopped moving up and down. And she said, in the end, Mr. Lincoln expressed himself perfectly satisfied that the motion was caused by some, in quote, invisible power so that's lincoln at a seance i can absolutely picture this and it's like carnival bucking horse style where if we were to do this in a movie it would be on a hydraulic lift that just like bucked and moved you all over the places while the poor guy playing lincoln holds on for dear life like i want this to be a real film so i can watch it and enjoy it Why didn't they put this? What was the Lincoln with Daniel Day Lewis? Why was it this? I scene don't in there? know. Where was they could have included it in Vampire Hunter, but no. No, like that one they were already out. steering off course. What would it hurt to include this scene? <laughs> that is true. They're already making him a vampire hunter. This would actually be more historically accurate, like if you think about it. Exactly. Like they could have made it Abraham Lincoln Ghost Hunter, but no, no, no. Oh my God. Lincoln the Ghostbuster. Oh, that would have been awesome. Who are you going to call? <laughs> the president, apparently. <laughs> apparently. I mean, obviously, as historians, can we prove that didn't happen? No. But we do have that historical account that describes the seance. I mean, we take the words of people in history for all other things. Like, just because we don't think it seems rational or reasonable right. doesn't mean it's any more or less true than any other historical account we have. Like, it's not like pictures or it didn't happen uh, wasn't really an option until recently. So <laughs> exactly. Without without TikTok, what are we to believe? I don't know. <laughs> I know. No, I, I think it's I love that account. I think it's I think it's great. And so, at, so in addition to the visits in Georgetown, Miss Lincoln began inviting her new spiritualist friends to the White House, too. Like, hey, come to our house. Hey. Um, and it said they would gather in the Red Room, which, ooh, that just feels so eerie, like, come to the Red Room. But anyway, they gathered in the Red Room, seated in a circle around a large table beneath a flameless chandelier. So I love the drama. So it's an electric chandelier? No, it wouldn't have been then. So they would have just not lit the candles. So it was dark. Yeah, but it just sounds dramatic to be a flameless <laughs> chandelier. It's exceedingly dramatic. Should I just? Although I do, I like that explanation because, like the um, the historic homes, uh-huh. like when they started shifting to electric, they'd be like, "Come see our flameless chandelier." Like that was actually used in descriptors, like in the 30s and 50s and stuff. So it's like. I'm here for it, but also, like, you just blew the candle out. It's not as dramatic as it could be. Well, you're right, and I didn't think about that. Like, when I was writing that, I was like, uh, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool, but I didn't think you're exactly right. <laughs> like, that's what they said. <laughs> okay, so no, this is no electricity. They just didn't light the candles. I don't, um, but it makes it creepy. I always feel like I want to talk like, <laughs> like 
talk like that. Okay, I'm going to stop that. I promise to the listeners. Um, but it said, okay, so there are, I don't think we'll ever know how many seances they actually held in the White House. So some say there was many as eight in the White House. We know she held several. And there is evidence that the president was president for at least one of them, maybe more. It's kind of, we don't really know, to be honest, but we know they were happening and he probably did attend at least one or two. Now, Marguerite Laurie became a regular visitor to the White House to conduct seances and arrange spirit circles. So the Lincolns, even though they were acquaintances with other mediums, it feels like the Lorries were like who they were really close to. And she became an um, an intimate confidant of Mary Todd Lincoln. And I love this. She was even cautioned regarding the need to protect the president's image and the importance of secrecy about these meetings as a matter of state security. So it's like, yeah, don't we don't really want this to get out that we're doing seances in the White House. <laughs> like, can we keep it on the down low, please? So don't wreck the president's image. Like, can't do that. Yeah. He has an image to maintain. He does. He does. Um, now, Mary was so convinced that Willie had returned that she reported to her half-sister, and this and this is in quotes, Willie lives. He comes to me every night and stands with the same sweet, adorable smile he has always had. He does not come alone. Little Eddie is sometimes with him. You cannot dream of the comfort this gives me. So basically, whereas... The first lady, Jane Pierce, she just saw her son in her dreams. Now, Mrs. Lincoln talks about like her deceased sons would come to the foot of her bed and come and talk to her and spend time with her and she would interact. So it's like kind of a whole different level. Uh, yeah, that's that's very different than in dreams. That's the kids literally coming to say goodnight. Yes. Like to mom. Yes. Which is, I mean, it, I, I get it on the surface. It's like, oh, that's creepy. But I mean, but also if you've lost a child, that would be amazing to have that experience. Yeah. Like, I don't want random children standing no. at the foot of my bed. No. But if they were my children, odds are I'd feel differently about the situation. Exactly. Exactly. So now we have one more account from the Lorries uh, about, it's funny, about the president, which I understand why they're not talking as much about Mary Lincoln, but it was also known she was a spiritualist. Like, that was kind of known. So there was a little more fascination of was the president. So in 1885, which is quite a bit later, the, uh, the Lori's son, Jack, who was actually a small child when all this was going on, he wrote an account of the seance at his house, a different one. So he first starts off talking about his father and how well known he was. And he was a leading spiritualist for many years. And I love he's like, and he was also also a clerk with the United States Post Office. So like, he's a spiritualist, <laughs> but he's not crazy. He's also this, 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 this. So um, that's kind of cute. And also how his mother and his sisters were mediums. Now, he said that around the beginning of 1862, his father became acquainted with the late President Abraham Lincoln. And Jack believed that the president became interested in spiritualism due to his father's influence. So it was because of his dad that Lincoln became so interested in it. Oh. So he said, he recalled often seeing Mr. Lincoln at the Lori's house engaged in attending circles for spiritualism. And Mrs. Lincoln was generally with him, which is kind of interesting because it makes it sound more like Lincoln's always there and sometimes Mrs. Lincoln's there. Yeah, it sounds the flip from what we usually assume. Ex exactly. 
And he says Mr. Lincoln attended these circles from 1862 to late 1863, and especially after his son Willie died, which is understandable. Um, he also recalled that Nettie Colburn was present, and Mr. Lincoln seemed deeply interested in the proceedings and asked a lot of questions. And he even recalled at one sitting, a large, heavy table was being raised into the air and caused to dance about the room. And Mr. Lincoln laughed and remarked, Never mind, Cranston. If they break the table, I'll buy you a new one. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And he claims that Lincoln declared he believed in spirits. I he's clearly flippant enough with them. I mean, that's a kind of casual acquaintance with somebody you believe is real. I I just love it. <laughs> now, the big question, was Lincoln an act, actually a spiritualist? Well, we don't know. So Lincoln's law partner, William Hurden, actually responded to Jack Laurie's account. So he wrote a response to it. But here's the thing. He doesn't really confirm or deny. So here's what he he starts off by stating that he knew nothing of Lincoln's belief or disbelief in spiritualism. He could not say that he believed, nor that he did not believe in spiritualism. So he's going to start his answer with, so I can't tell you for sure, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. Yes, basically. And he says (laughs) that while Lincoln never spoke of it, he does have some reason to believe that the president did sometimes attend seances in Washington. But he put a little note there. I don't know that from my personal knowledge, but I've heard from other sources he did. So it's like, and then he did, but he described the president as a really sad man, a gloomy man. And he said that Lincoln would often talk about how he just kind of knew he was going to die a sudden and terrible death and wish, and that he had shared this ominous feeling with many around him. And so in the end, he states that Lincoln was really superstitious. So it is possible that he turned to the spirits. So I love he's like, I can't. I, I It's like he may have. I can neither confirm or yes! deny. That's what the entire <laughs> response is. The entire response. Like, he never talked about it, but he maybe did. It's just like, why respond? <laughs> like, Why even bother? Yeah. So um, so he's he's kind of of no help. But another close acquaintance wrote that Lincoln was not considered a spiritualist. And this is his quote. He said that he was no dabbler in divination, astrology, horoscopy, prophecy, ghostly lore, or witcheries of any sort. But he kind of said he that Lincoln did attend a few seances, but mainly to humor his wife. So Lincoln's not really a believer, but he's humoring it. He went to with his wife just to kind of humor her. So what do we consider ghostly lore? (laughs) Like ghost stories? Because if you consider ghostly lore ghost stories, with that entire list, he doesn't list that Lincoln has no interest in contacting the dead. No, he doesn't. He's not a spiritualist, but I'm going to list everything but spiritualism in the list of things that he's not interested in. Exactly. And he admits that, like, yeah, he went to seances, but but it wasn't because of him. It was for his wife. No, of course not. Yes, which is an excuse in itself, but it's also like, so he did all, he, he's not interested in any of these things, but we're leaving ghosts on the table. I know. I love that. <laughs> I just love, or witcheries of any sort. I don't know. Like, I just... Witcheries of any sort. That would be us in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, if you're a medium, he'd probably consider that a witchery, like a witchery of a sort. Now, you know where we're headed, but it's even said that it was a spiritualist that warned of Lincoln's assassination, but 
but they also quote or make a note of that also everybody knew he was an ever-present danger. I mean, it wasn't like this wasn't a possibility. And Lincoln remarked about a warning from a friend of the First Lady and spiritualist Colchester. Told you he'd make a return. And yeah. Colchester warned him that there would be attempts on his life, attempts on his life and assassination attempts. And it said that Lincoln just simply said, like, basically, yeah, Colchester has been telling me that. So it's kind of like, yeah, Colchester <laughs> keeps telling me that. But it turns out Colchester's special insight into Lincoln's peril possibly originated not from the spirit world, but rather a few blocks from the White House because he was a friend of John Wilkes Booth. Oh, really? Oh, really? I told you we'd talk about Colchester. Yeah, no kidding. I feel like we changed our voices. Like, you wouldn't talk like that. <laughs> well, suddenly, to be fair, we went from a casual conversation about spiritualism to intrigue. Yes. So, Booth, now I don't go into a lot of Booth, but just a general Booth, apparently, according to some historians, had his own interest in spiritualism that began after the death of his sister-in-law. In 1863, and it was said Booth was also very superstitious and attended seances conducted by Colchester, and that the two men were friends and acquaintances, and many in Washington had noticed the men consorting at the same hotels and eating establishments, so they were seen together around Washington, D.C. Well, I mean, Booth was a famous actor. He was seen with a lot of people. Well, exactly, exactly. But following the assassination of President Lincoln at Ford's Theater, Colchester fled the capital city and was never questioned about the president's death. Now that's got a whole so. different level of interest to it. I know. So now I'm like, okay, um, deep dive into Colchester. Yeah. Uh -huh. Need to look into him. Uh, but yeah, so that's just, so was it the spirits or was it his buddy Booth? Like, I like, did he know about the whole conspiracy plan to take out the whole upper level of authority know. with the union because i mean it wasn't just lincoln that was on the docket no. like they were after the vp no. they were after um oh there were two other people i can't remember but yeah but yeah you're but you're right and what did he know um so yeah i'm gonna have to do a little deep dive into him now the aftermath because of course sadly we know whether it was the spirits that said it or he had inside knowledge President Lincoln was assassinated, and the assassination of her husband just sent Mary into just so much grief, depression, sorrow, you can imagine. So, oh, yeah, no, if we thought Victoria took it badly, just wait until we tell you about Mary. Oh, my gosh. So she, of course, leaves Washington. She moved to, to live with her son, Tad, who, if it couldn't get any worse, then her son, Tad, dies yeah. just a few, like, right after he turns 18. So then she went to live with her only remaining son, Robert, and she continued to host seances in her home. And then when Robert forbade the practice, she just began to visit spiritualists and she would just go under assumed names. <laughs> she also visited William Mumler, a spirit photographer who produced a photograph of Lincoln's spirit resting his hands on Mary's shoulders. And it's, I mean, I would think that's his most famous photograph. Oh, I mean, yeah. there, no question. I mean, and there is a lot of debate. Many, I mean, he was, he was ruled a fraud. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have to cover him in depth at some point. Cause he's got a, a whole story and he does. Yeah. The fraud factor has some valid points. Like that one does. <laughs> I might tell Houdini to calm down in most respects, but when it comes to the break it down for us now approach to Mumler, 
Clink. Cheers, bud. Yes. I agree. Now, Mary believed the picture to be authentic, and she actually wrote to a friend, A very slight veil separates us from the loved and lost. Though unseen by us, they are very near. So at least brought her a lot of comfort, and she loved it. For sure. Now, sadly, Mary's son, Robert, I mean, she's going to these seances. She's depressed, which we don't acknowledge depression then. You know, we don't talk about it. But Robert brought her his own mother to court on charges of insanity. Mm. He stated that her distorted view of her finances, spending sprees, and fears for her own safety were all signs of severe mental illness. The court sided with Robert, and in 1875, Mary Todd Lincoln was taken into custody, certified insane, and committed to an asylum. Yeah. Now, she remained there for over a year until she was found by the court to be of sound mind, but I also had a source, which makes a really good point. That's also not, that stirred a lot of public interest when you have put a former first lady and Lincoln's wife of all into an insane asylum. It's not going to look good. So whether it was just public pressure or the court just kind of came to their senses, but they let her out. Fearing her son would try to institutionalize her again, She went to live abroad for a few years, and then in 1881, she returned to the U.S. to live out the remainder of her life with her sister Elizabeth in Illinois, and she passed on July 16th, 1882, at the age of 63, which, gosh, seems so young. Like, everything she, when I saw 63, I was like, that is not that old. No. Like, given that she had four children, didn't die in childbirth, didn't herself catch typhoid or any of the other myriad ways the world tried to kill people at that point in time, and is still trying to kill us today with lovely diseases and infections, like, calculating that, 63 is still very impressive, but also, like, I mean, my mom's in her 60s, and she's still going strong, like, as long as nothing oh, yeah. bad happens to her, she's going to keep going. And like, so, wow, 63, that is so young. I, I thought such a, I don't know why in my head I pictured her like 70 or 80. Like I, when I saw 63, I was like, oh my gosh, like what a life. Like I could also just see her body being like, and we're done mentally. Physically, oh yeah. No, like, with the ringer she was put through, like her body yeah. just being like, okay, no, bye. Mm-hmm. You've been through enough. Let, let's just go to... A better place. <laughs> Look at that. Our exit queue. Yes. So, um, but yeah, those are the Lincolns. And now we're going to dive into the ghost stories. Absolutely. And man, there are more than a few. All right. So the haunting of Lincoln. Ooh. So, and actually before he died, uh, he haunted himself, basically. <laughs> at least that's how I put it. He <laughs> dreamed of his own death. Ward Hill Lamon, a close friend of the president's, was considerate enough to write down what Lincoln told him one evening in Mm -hmm. early 1865. It's almost like he Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure we could find out about it later. About 10 days ago, I retired very late, the president told him. I soon began to dream. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me, and then I heard subdued sobs as if a number of people were weeping. I left my bed and I wandered downstairs, and I arrived in the east room. Before me was a catalfac. Or basically a raised buyer with the, the, the dramatic drapes down the oh. side. On which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards. And there were a throng of people, some gazing mournfully upon the corpse whose face was covered, while others were weeping pitifully. 
Who's dead in the White House? I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin. That's so creepy. Yeah, he accurately dreamed about his own death. And this wasn't even the first time Lincoln foresaw his own death. Soon after his election in 1860, he was looking in a mirror and he saw a double image of his face reflected in that mirror. One was his real, like, regular face, and the other was a pale imitation. His wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, didn't see the mirror images herself, but the incident definitely got her attention. She prophesied Mm -hmm. that the sharper image indicated that he would serve out his first term, and the faint ghost-like image was a sign that he would be nominated for a second term, but would not live to complete it. Mm. And given that he was killed 42 days into his second term, I'd say she was accurate. Yeah. Oh, that's that's not pleasant to figure that out about your own husband. Like, I would never li- let him leave the house. Be like, you're not going anywhere. Right. Anywhere. So I know you were just elected, but also no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. And then after he died, Lincoln wasn't done with the White House. Uh, the press secretary to Lady Bird Johnson, President Johnson's wife, shared that Mrs. Johnson believed that she felt Lincoln's presence one spring evening while watching a television program about his death. She noticed a plaque she'd never noticed before that was hanging over the fireplace that talked about Lincoln's importance in that room specifically. And Mrs. Johnson admitted to feeling a strange coldness and a decided sense of unease. Wow. Right. And this apprehension has been felt by others. Grace Coolidge, wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, Uh was the first person to report having actually seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. (gasps) Oh, wow. Okay. She said that he stood at a window of the Oldville office, hands clasped behind his back, gazing out over the Potomac. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And the main thing that we notice throughout the hauntings of Lincoln is that he seems to really show up a lot when the country is in distress. And the best examples of this are during the FDR administration in World War II. <laughs> wow. Like, he was seen a lot during FDR's administration because the country was going through a devastating depression and right. then obviously World War II. Uh, when Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was a guest at the White House, uh, she was awakened one night by a knock at her bedroom door. Uh, she thought it might be an important message, got up, and when she opened the door, the figure of President Lincoln stood in the hallway, top hat and all. Oh, oh my uh, god! The queen, <laughs> the queen, unsurprisingly fainted, and when she came to, she was lying on the floor, and Lincoln was gone. That'll wake you up. Yeah, that one definitely gets your attention. Mm-mm. One of the more entertaining versions of the interactions with Lincoln come from Winston Churchill. <gasps> Ooh, okay. <laughs> who, according to accounts. He had stepped out of a hot bath and was wearing nothing but a cigar <laughs> when he encountered Lincoln by the fireplace. Good evening, Mr. President, Churchill reportedly said. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> and that sounds so perfectly Churchill-esque. I'm like, is that even what happened when you saw the ghost? Like, is this, this is clearly your rendition of the story. Right, right. Like, what did what did you actually say? I was like, were you that perfectly composed encountering? Like a ghost? we know exactly. Like we know he's jaded. Yes, and I'm sure Buckingham Palace is pretty haunted. Right, but like, is that really what happened? Wow, I I mean, I whether it really happened that way or not, I love the story. Like that is oh brilliant. yeah, no. <laughs> absolutely. That's one of the that's one of the most popular ones uh, for understandable reasons. Yes. 
Continuing on through the Roosevelts, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt used Lincoln's bedroom as her study. Oh. Although she never saw his ghost, she admitted that she felt his presence whenever she was working late at night. She explained that it was kind of like he was standing behind her, peering over her shoulder while she worked. Oh, okay. So he's still a little nosy rosy, even in the afterlife. (laughs) After the Roosevelts, in 1946, President Harry S. Truman was awakened by a knocking as well. Uh, he wrote to his wife a letter that is archived in the presidential library and museum. So direct quote, I jumped up and put on my bathrobe, opened the door and no one there. He wrote, went out, looked up and down the hall, looked in your room and Margie's still no one went back to bed after locking the doors and there were footsteps in your room whose door I'd left open, jumped up, looked around and no one there. The damn place is haunted. Sure is shooting. <laughs> Secret service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour. You and Margie better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. No. No. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. I love <laughs> the one- sure as shooting. She's shooting. Yep. That's the one that got me, too. That may be my favorite letter I've ever heard. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. And like, it's one of those where when someone talks about, well, maybe the White House isn't haunted, you can legitimately respond with, well, you're counter or you're contradicting several presidents if you insist that it's not haunted. So what you gonna do? I just I I like I almost want to print off of that letter. Like, I just love that so much. I absolutely need to see if I can find it and share it on the social media because that is way too cool. I only found that one this morning. So I wasn't, I don't, I don't, I don't have sourced and like ready to put out there, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I need to find it so we can share it with everybody. It's too beautiful. That's brilliant. And apparently once upon a time, the newspapers would actually print some of these stories and like handle ghosts a little bit better than they do now. Like they'd take them a little more seriously. Apparently there's a Washington Post article published in 1907 that describes the police department's effort to address paranormal activity in Georgetown with the headline spooks baffle police. <laughs> it's the lorries. Just go to the lorries. Exactly. Um, it says, despite the vigilant of the vigilance of captain Schneider and his officers at the seventh precinct, they continue night after night. their weird and ghost-like tricks. The police are unable to stop the shower of gravel and stones, which appear to be the favorite means of manifestation of these materialistic ghosts, nor are they able to discover whence they came. And then the headline for the 1903 Post story that said, White House ghosts, changes in the mansion have driven them away. And apparently along in that article, a longtime White House servant was sharing how sad they were that the renovations that were happening had cleared the mansion of the spirits that kept him company on lonely night. Oh my gosh, like I just feel like you would never see that in the press today. That is so cool. Exactly. It's amazing. And like it's it doesn't even start with Lincoln. We have ghosts that came before, we have ghosts that arrived after. The White House is super duper haunted. And apparently when they were actually doing the renovations of the White House, they actually ended up taking a picture of some of the workmen that were down there and they took a shot and there's this like ghostly figure in the background. And I mean, we know that photography's changed over the decades. Right. And so one of the very logical assumptions was, I mean, maybe it was just somebody that was walking. Like they were there for a second, but they were like running away. So they weren't mm-hmm. caught in the picture. 
Except there's a guy walking down some of the rubble and you can see him mid-step. And if he's only a little blurry, then that shadow, they'd have to be moving at warp speed. So either we have a superhero uh-huh. or, or a ghost. <laughs> wow. I have to admit, I have seen this picture. And if, if y'all haven't seen it, it is the it is creepy. Like, it's so spooky. Looking at the ghostly things tends to stick in my brain a little longer than it should. So I haven't actually looked for it yet, but I will find it. And I will also put that one on the social medias. Yeah, it's it's worth checking out. And the general assumption is that that is Lincoln. I don't know why that's the assumption other than he's every other ghost. Like, he's apparently the official ghost of the White House. Yeah, he really is. Because, I mean, I'm not saying you don't hear about other presidents, but it's. Very rare. It's like it's always Lincoln. If there's someone there, it's always Lincoln. Like they'll have a seance and Jackson will come through be cursing up a storm. Or, you know, Abigail Adams is sadly still doing her laundry. But it's <laughs> almost always Lincoln if you're talking about haunting in the White House. Oh, uh, if there's a, I'd want to talk to Abigail. Like I, she is one of my favorite first ladies. Oh yeah, she's amazing. Her and I want to talk to Dolly Madison. Yeah, she'd be another, another good one too. Being the history dork and nerds that we are in our wedding, instead of doing like a reading like people normally do from like the Bible and all that, which is beautiful, we read a love letter between John Adams and Abigail Adams. That was our reading for our wedding ceremony. So that's awesome. I love that so much. (laughs) It just, we were like, yes, let's do that. But um, yeah, I'd love to talk because I just think she was like, it's funny, you and I, we were like, we went to Lincoln. Appreciate you. You're awesome. But can we talk to the ladies? <laughs> yeah, like I know that Mary probably didn't have a lot of fond memories there, but like where where's where's she? That is interesting for her being the spiritualist. You never hear about ghost stories and it being Mary Link. It's always Abraham. Yeah. And we even have him outside the White House because apparently he also hunt, haunts his son's tomb. Yeah. Um, they'll they'll hear footsteps around where Willie's buried. Oh. Oh, that one just makes me sad. And like occasionally weeping or murmuring and stuff. So like, yeah, it's all Lincoln all the time, but it's not Mary Todd Lincoln. It's Abraham. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. that I, I kind of, that's so, I don't know. I know we'll dive into this like in other 4th of July episodes. Where Are there any first ladies that haunt the White House? I've heard of one. I've heard of Eleanor Roosevelt. Hmm. Apparently. Yeah. Maybe that'd be the next deep dive. The first lady spirits of the White House. I mean, I'm here for it. It'll also give us an excuse to nerd out about the first ladies. I know. I know. I absolutely. Oh, my goodness. So Mr. Lincoln, still there. Yes, he's basically, I mean, it sounds like he's basically our King Arthur. (gasps) He's always there when the country's in distress. I wonder if he's there right now because there's a lot of chaos and crazy and people are... I'm looking to forward to 20 years from now when we start hearing accounts of how he's been showing up for the last chunk of time. That's what I've been wondering. I'm like, is Biden seen? <laughs> like, is he there? Because <laughs> just about in times of like this, like, okay. I mean, for all we know, when Biden's talking to himself, he's talking to Lincoln. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't. We don't. He could. He very well could be. But I kind of love that he shows up. I mean, I don't know. That may be a bad omen. If they start seeing Lincoln around the White House, it's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> like, what's about to happen? Like, It's probably what comes first. Like, if he shows up before the chaos starts, then you see him as an omen and you're like, oh, spit. 
But if he comes after the chaos yes. has begun, you could be like, oh, good, backup's here. Let's go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that would be something like, when exactly does he show up? Because can't you imagine, like, you're in the White House, you get settled, you're the president, things seem to be going well, and then one night you're awakened and Lincoln's sitting there and you're just like, gosh darn it. Like, what? What? What is coming? <laughs> this is going to suck, isn't it? Yes! <laughs> and what's Lincoln just sitting there, like, smiling, like, Yep, it is. Trying, trying to be gentle and, and, and helpful. Like, no, we, we, we have some work to do. Yeah. Okay, you should probably let me sleep then because I need sleep to be able to handle things. This is why the president's hair always goes white if it wasn't white at the beginning. Yeah, we, we need to know that. So anybody that listens that's an insider in the White House. Like, yeah, or if you have friends and family that work in D.C. Yes. hearing these stories, please tell us if they're already seeing Lincoln. Yes, and is he come before? Is like a harbinger, or is he like a comfort? Like I'm here to help. Exactly. Or does it depend on what your role is? And sometimes you see him before, and sometimes you see him after. I can see like him walking in, and somebody being like, "Nope, nope, get out. Nope, go. No, <laughs> nope, nope, nope." <laughs> like, go on I back. can absolutely see that too. Like, Especially if they've been there for a long time. They're like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no. I don't care what you're warning us about." Not today, please. <laughs> it makes me think of, okay, I do you watch The Office? I can't. The camera's too shaky. It makes oh, me dizzy. Oh, that's right. That's right. But, okay, so for those that watch The Office, there's like, the, okay, you can look, I'll send you the meme, but there's like this infamous meme of like Michael Scott, who's the boss, and Toby walks in and he's like, no, God, no, no. And I'm like, dude, it's a gif. I use that, I use that gif all the time. Yes, I know what you're talking I'm like, about. Yep. Is that what happens when Lincoln shows up? <laughs> Like Mike, <laughs> does Steve Carell make an appearance after Lincoln walks in just to say no? No, God, no, no. <laughs> Poor Lincoln, Lincoln just wants to come by and be like, "Hey, welcome to the White House." Like, hey, bud, get ready for a rough time because it's never easy. Good luck. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Be calling up the Ghostbusters, and we're like, "We need to get him out. We need to get this gone. <laughs> like, we need to deal with this." Absolutely. They have the interns like trying to, I don't know, not use sage, but use rosemary. Like trying to get yeah. them out. Rosemary or like ring the bells to get ring them out. The like who's the resident medium now for the White House? <laughs> <laughs> that is true because, which we're not going to talk about it now, but they, it's like we shouldn't, but this is appropriate. It doesn't end with the Lincolns, by the way. Mm-mm. No. This does way. not end with the Lincolns. It continues on. To mediums and then later astrologers. Like this mm-hmm. this keeps happening. Yes, they uh they didn't start or stop with the Fox Sisters. <laughs> or uh the conspiracy. Who is what was his name again? The conspiracy. The guy that knew. Oh, Colchester. <laughs> Why do I do Cold a Chester, voice there we go. <laughs> Colchester. Because he sounds like a character in a western. He does, and it's Colchester of Georgia. What was that? I'm like, Ugh. like what is that? <laughs> You're like the town crier. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. In a 1963 western. Am I like channeling him right now? What if he really talked about we'll talk like that? <laughs> That's how he pronounces his own name. <laughs> oh my goodness no oh lord he's gonna i mean he rolled with actors you never know you know no you really don't know oh mr colchester oh, i'm gonna look into him more because i'm 
one seems a little sketch, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. He had inside information and passed himself off as a medium predicting the death of a guy that he knew was about to be killed. Now here, now here, devil's advocate. What if he got, what if he was like, I, what if in his mind he really did want to warn the president but he's like, I can't tell him where I got my source, so I'm going to tell him it's the spirits and maybe he'll believe me and listen because maybe they think he, I don't, you know what, yeah. I don't know. Especially given how insistent he was. I can absolutely see that. Yeah, like, because if he's like, I heard or I know a guy or. Oh, they'd be demanding all the receipts on that one. Who do you know? Where did you talk to it? And what do they know? Exactly. So what if he's like, okay, well, I'm going to say the spirit said it. I can ma- okay maybe I'll I'll give him some benefit of the doubt maybe he was just trying to get it across and maybe maybe <laughs> Colchester <laughs> and on that dramatic note <laughs> I know <laughs> uh, so we're gonna keep Jess from saying that anymore and sorry <laughs> thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please do us the usual favor and appease the podcast gods by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. And we want to hear from you, so let us know what you think about this episode and our voices. <laughs> and if there are, <laughs> and if you want us to stop ever doing that again. But also, if there's any other spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes, um, of course, you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, and you can email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. Or if you're feeling lucky, you can contact us by making the piano move, the piano that neither of us has. So good luck, and I believe in you. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> And with that, we'll say good night. Bye.